Chapter Six of the Giant's Robe by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six. So near and yet so far. When Mark awoke next morning, the weather had undergone one of those sudden and complete changes which form one of the chief attractions of our climate. There had been a frost, and with it a thin white mist which threw its clinging veil over the landscape. The few trees which were near enough to be seen were covered with a kind of thick grey vegetation that gave them a spectral resemblance to their summer selves. Breakfast was early, as Mark had to be down at St. Peter's as soon after morning chapel as possible, and he came down shivering to find his uncle already seated. "'The dog-cart will be around in five minutes,' said the latter gentleman, with his mouth full, "'so make the most of your time. You'll have a cold drive. I'll take you over to the station myself, and go on and see Ferret after.' The two zealous Wilcox brought the trap round. "'Have you been round to see that bird next door?' Mr. Lightowler asked rather anxiously, as the man stood by the mare's head. "'Yes, sir,' said Wilcox, with a grin. "'I went and saw Mr. Umpage's man, and he said the old gander was very bad when they got him home. But he ain't any the worse for what he had this morning, sir, though the man, he'd you say, as the gander seemed a bit sorry for herself, too. They tough old birds has got strong heads, sir.' i knowed it'd do him no harm bless ye well don't you go trying it again wilcox that's all mind what i say said uncle solomon with visible relief else you and me'll have words and part let her go and they drove off he gave mark much good advice on the way such as wealthy uncles seem to secrete and exude almost unconsciously as toads yield moisture but Mark paid only a moderate degree of attention to it as they spun past the low, dim edges. He hardly noticed what could be seen along the road even, which was not much, a gable-end or a haystack starting out for an instant from the fog, or a shadowy labourer letting himself through a gate. He was thinking of the girl whose eyes had met his the afternoon before. He had dreamed of her all that night, a confused, ridiculous dream, but with a charm about it which was lingering still. He thought they had met and understood one another at once, and he had taken her to the village church where he had first seen her, and they had a private box, and Uncle Solomon took the chair, while old Mr. Shelford, Trixie, and young Langton were all in the choir, which was more like an orchestra. It was not particularly connected or reverent, but she had not been included in the general travesty. His sleeping brain had respected her image, even in its waywardness, and presented it as vivid and charming as in life, so that the dream with all its absurdity seemed to have brought her nearer to him, and he could not resist the fancy that she might have some recollection of it too. A low hum in the still air and distant reports and choked railway whistles told them they were near the station, but the fog had grown so much denser that there was no other indication of it, until Mr. Lightowler brought up sharply opposite the end of an inclined covered staircase, which seemed to spring out of nothing and lead nowhere, where they left the dog-cart in charge of a flyman and went up to the platform. There a few old gentlemen with rosy faces were stamping up and down and slapping their chests, exchanging their raw morning this sirs ah it is indeed with 
an air of good men bearing up under an undeserved persecution sharp morning this is to stand about in said uncle solomon let's go into the waiting-room there's a fire there the waiting-room was the usual drab little room with a bottle of water and tumblers on a bare stained table and local advertisements on the dingy walls the gas was lighted and flickered in a sickly white fishtail flame but the fire was blazing cheerfully giving a sheen to the silver-grey fur of a child in a crimson plush hat who stood before it embracing a small round basket out of which a sky terrier's head was peering inquisitively the firelight shone too on the graceful form of a girl who was bending towards it holding out her slender hands to the blaze mark scarcely needed to glance at the face as she turned towards the newcomers to recognize that fortune had allowed him one more chance mr humpage's visitors were evidently returning to town by the same train as himself and the old gentleman in person was standing with his back to them examining a time-table on the wall uncle solomon in his relief at wilcox's information that morning did not perceive any awkwardness in the encounter but moved about and coughed noisily as if anxious to attract his enemy's attention mark felt considerably embarrassed dreading a scene but he glanced as often as he dared at the lady of his thoughts who was drawing on her gloves again with a dainty deliberation god papa said the little girl suddenly you never told me if frisk had been good has he so good that he kept me awake thinking of him all night said the old gentleman dryly without turning did he howl god papa he does sometimes when he's left out in the garden you know he did said mr humpage oh yes he howled he's a clever dog at that and you really like him too said dolly some people don't now reminded of em very growled the old gentleman isn't it said dolly innocently well i'm glad you like it godpapa because now i shall bring him to see you again when there's a moon he, he can howl much louder i'll bring him when the next moon comes shall i we'll see chucky we'll see i shouldn't like to keep him sitting up all night to howl on my account it wouldn't be good for his health for the very next blue moon we have down in these parts i'll send up for him i promise you that dolly was evidently about to inquire searchingly into the nature of this local phenomenon but before she could begin the old gentleman turned and saw that they were not alone morning mr umpage said uncle solomon clearing his throat and mark felt a pang of regret for the lost aspirate good morning to you sir said the other distantly the elder girl returned the bow which mark risked though without giving any sign of remembrance but dolly remarked audibly why that's the old man next door that gave your goose something to make it giddy isn't it godpapa i hope said uncle solomon that now you've had time to think over what happened yesterday afternoon you'll see that you went too far in using the terms that fell from you more particularly as the birds as well as ever from what i hear this morning i don't wish to reopen that affair at present said the other stiffly well i've heard about enough of it too so if you'll own you use language that was unwarrantable i'm willing to say no more about it on my part i've no doubt you are mr lightowler but you must excuse me for entering into any conversation on the subject i can't dismiss it as lightly as you seem to do 
and in short i don't mean to discuss it here sir very well just as you please i only meant to be neighbourly but it don't signify i can keep myself to myself as well as other parties i dare say then you'll have the goodness to do it mr lightowler mabel the train is due now get your wraps and things and come along he walked fiercely past the indignant uncle solomon followed by mabel and dolly the former of whom seemed a little ashamed of mr humpage's behaviour for she kept her eyes lowered as she passed mark while dolly looked up at him with childish curiosity confound these old fools thought mark angrily what do they want to squabble for in this ridiculous way why if they had only been on decent terms i might have been introduced to her to mabel by this time we might even have travelled up to town together regular old tartar that said his uncle under his breath i believe he'll try and have the law of me now let him i don't care here's your train at last you won't be in by the time-table this morning with all this fog about mark got into a compartment next to that in which mr humpage had put mabel and her sister it was as near as he dared to venture he could hear mabel's clear soft voice saying the usual last words at the carriage window while uncle solomon was repeating his exhortation to study and abstinence from any literary nonsense then the train after one or two false starts on the greasy rails moved out and mark had a parting glimpse of the neighbours turning sharply round on the platform with an elaborate affectation of being utter strangers he had no paper to amuse him for the station was not important enough for a bookstore and there was nothing to be seen out of the windows which were silvered with frozen moisture he had the compartment to himself and lay back looking up rather sentimentally at the bull's-eye through which he heard occasional snatches of dolly's imperious treble i know her name now he thought with a quite unreasonable joy mabel i shall remember that i wonder if they are going all the way to town and if i could offer to be of any use to them at king's cross at all events i shall see her once more then it was not a very long journey from chigbourne to the terminus but as will be seen hereafter it was destined to be a landmark in the lives of both mark and mabel though the meeting he looked forward to at the end of it never took place end of chapter six